Thank you for that study, Brother Cunningham. Uh, just want to ask a question. You, you, you raised the question about uh, women teaching, and I just uh, had a, a conversation with the brother just on yesterday about women teaching. Uh, is that once we leave this building, if a sister approach a brother outside of this building, uh, she, can she approach him uh, in a correction of uh, misquoted scriptures? Is that a public teaching or a private teaching? I was hoping to avoid questions like that. <laughs> uh, well, James, uh, I would say that um, I don't consider that to be a, a public, there may be some brethren who do, uh, in a conversation, you know, say a sister's talking to another brother in a conversation, um, and they correct them on a scripture or something. Um, I wouldn't consider that just teaching. I mean, I think here, um, I mean, I used, uh, you know, Titus 2, women teaching the younger, but I, I, don't, I don't consider that teaching. I consider it a conversation. Uh, now, you know, I've been corrected uh, by sisters in the building. You know, I misquoted a verse, and a sister would, you know, say, you know, Brother Bob, you know, that was 2 Timothy 3. You said 2. Well, you know, she's not really teaching me. She's correcting me. So I don't, I think there's a, I think it's a distinction myself, so. Uh, other brothers may have a different view, but that's how I view it. You know, now she's standing on a podium, you know, pounding a fist and teaching, well, you know, that's a different thing. Uh, but in the scenario you described, I don't, I don't see that as teaching. Don't be afraid to say that she can teach because years ago, Irvin Waters said where a woman can teach, she can teach anybody. Where she cannot teach, she cannot teach anybody. And after services are over and you're standing around, a woman can talk to you about your, about your lesson and she can tell you that you missed a passage or that you failed to mention something or that you said it wrong. Um, I, you know, we, we sometimes make our sisters feel like they can never say anything and I don't think that's so. I'm not so certain, by the way, that Timothy stayed in Ephesus as long as you may have implied in your I talk. Did, I didn't give a Yeah, time okay. Well, because I, I, don't, I don't think Second Timothy's, yeah, I don't think that he was there when Paul wrote his second letter. Um, and, but that, that's beside the point. I do, I, I, I struggle when, when brethren say that, that Paul left Timothy in charge of Ephesus. I don't believe that. 
I, I believe Timothy was there to do the work of an evangelist, but I, I don't think he was in charge of that congregation. He was just there to help them. But we, at least I teach, I, I teach brethren that no, no man, no one man is going to be in charge of a congregation. And I know you believe that no, no one man's in charge of a congregation. Uh, but sometimes we, we say things that would, you know, could be taken the wrong way by people in the audience. So I'm, I'm just saying this for the benefit of some that are younger that I, I really don't think that Timothy was in charge of that congregation in Ephesus. I think he was there to correct some things and to help them to get better established. But uh, that's, well, don't take that the wrong way. That was just my thoughts. I already have. Uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes, uh, it was a poor choice of words, Richard. I didn't, I didn't mean that literally. Um, I meant that Paul left him there uh, to work with the congregation like we've been talking about all day. Uh, you know, just sometimes when you're up here speaking, you don't really say what you really want to say. And it was just a word of convenience. But I realized that that could have been taken the wrong way. So, but no, I don't believe he was in charge. Uh, and I didn't mention how long he was there because I'm not really sure about that myself. But I know he was there. And uh, the way the King James translates that, that verse, uh, it uses the word charge. So, uh, that's, you know. But anyway, I get your point. Just kind of adding a verse to this gentleness aspect that you brought up, which was, I liked how you brought in the childlike aspect of it. Back home, we just studied in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul encourages all Christians, which is what you have under there for a characteristic it should be uh, undertaken by all Christians. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20, he says, Brethren, be not uh, children in understanding, however in malice, be as babes. And so when it comes to understanding, he says, don't be like a child. But when it comes to malice, when it comes to anger and how you would respond, he says, be as an infant. And so the Christian's reaction is always one that is gentle. And while there are aspects in which we should not be childlike, there are aspects in which we should be uh, infantile, like a child, like a baby. And so I just liked that connection that you made, and I appreciated it, because I think it's often a difficult one. So thank you. Thank you. You know, Jesus said, uh, become as a little child. Jesus elevated the attitude of children also. Thank you so much, brother, for bringing this passage to our attention. I've, I've just studied it recently, and I've grown to love it because this is, this is the real spiritual warfare right here. You know, people like to talk about spiritual warfare, but it's not between angels and demons and flying around the sky. It's over the hearts and minds of people. And uh, I learned something interesting I just want to throw out there. Relating to that uh, verse 26, the snare of the devil. And it's interesting, there's a positive use of that word snare in the New Testament. Over in Luke 5, verse 10, when Jesus called his first disciples, 
And Matthew's account says you'll be, you'll be fishers of men from now on. But Luke's account, Luke 5 verse 10, he says from now on you'll be catching people. And it's the same <laughs> word there. You'll be snaring people. And your illustration you gave is just right about it means to be caught alive. And we got to make sure we keep that in mind. The people we're preaching to or evangelizing to are not our enemies. They're victims of Satan. And we want to deliver them alive out of that situation. So that's why it's so important, these qualities of patience and, and gentleness, because uh, we want to win them over for Christ. Thank you. No, I, I appreciate that. You know, I was a little taken aback by it because I never really caught that part of that word, the instant. And Timothy being gentle with people who are coming at him, you know, with all sorts of ungodliness. And sometimes we don't, you know. Our attitudes are not to be gentle back to these people when they're attacking us. Good job, Bobby, on, especially on short notice. It's really good. Uh, kind of going along with what Noah was saying, or, or maybe a segue from what he's saying, uh, these qualities that an evangelist is supposed to have, uh, they're very, very important, and we need to develop those qualities. But sometimes people attach with some of these qualities being wishy-washy or uh, not convicted or uh, something on that order. And that's not what's being said at all. Uh, being humble is not walking around with your head down mumbling, uh, but it's being uh, realizing that you're uh, subservient to God and to this brother you're trying, or sister, that you're trying to correct. And the implication here is that you've studied your lesson well enough to be able to discipline or correct these people that have gone awry, and that clearly indicates that uh, you need to have conviction about this, you need to know what you're talking about, you need to have studied the Word of God and whatever questions might that you can predict might come from that. These qualities are important and we need to have them. All evangelists must have them. But at the same time, we need to be people of conviction who know the truth and uh, and who, in using these qualities, put money in the bank with the congregation they're working with so that when they do correct them, people will listen. <laughs> I do have just one, one question and one comment. When we talk about 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26, it's kind of easy as members of the Lord's church to default to the valuing of personal evangelism as something that affects the world and the snares of the devil that are really after the world. Um, can you, do, do, in your study, did you come across anything that really emphasizes the role that that plays in snatching those out of the fire or in also restoring Christians that may uh, we're, we're working on constantly 
restoring and saving those that have turned away from the truth after knowing? Well, I think uh, I think verse 25 correcting his opponents with gentleness God may perhaps grant them repentance to a knowledge of the truth so that would that would be the goal I would think so restoration okay yeah so that 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 applies to us in working with members mm-hmm. even of the congregation mm-hmm. with people who may not have obeyed the truth or heard the truth the whole whole thing I right. think sometimes I in Bible studies and discussions I've heard people really apply that as uh, the personal evangelism valuing as we got to go out to the world the world's lost and that gets priority and we sometimes it's to the detriment of our local congregation because we're not helping and encouraging oh, I see what you one another to grow and develop in in those ways. So. Well, I think it, uh, commitment, conviction. Uh, I think, you know, we can teach and we can share and we can, but if a person is not committed, that's an individual decision that they have to make. If they're going to be faithful to the Lord, if they're going to study their Bibles, those are things that we can encourage, but we can't compel them to do those things they have to make a decision okay. so yeah. okay you have any closing comments yes I do have some closing comments um, you know I want to um, this doesn't relate to the lesson uh, I wanted to commend the brethren here at Grapevine for this study uh, I don't know um Many of you may not realize it. Nobody has said it. I was trying to wait until somebody said it or mentioned it. But this is a very historic meeting. Uh, this is as many black brethren that we've ever had at a study. And we were hoping that it would be uh, one that would kind of shift the, you know, the, the paradigm a little bit. And uh, I've noticed just being here people meeting new people that they've never met before, conversations, I had my ears up, and, and sure, nothing can be done in just one meeting, but I just want to commend these brothers, the elders here, for putting this on, inviting these brethren that you probably have never heard of, uh, trusting art to bring people in here that, that you know, are good students of the Bible, but it took a lot of courage to do that. I just hope it doesn't just stop. That this is just a one-shot thing. I, I hope it isn't. You know, Arden, I've been coming to these studies for over 30 years, it seems. And uh, it's just good to see a good mix of people uh, because the environment that we're in is, is very hostile. Uh, it's a very, everybody's looking at things through race and. Black people are victims and white people are racist. I know you've heard that. But the church needs to be the leader in showing the world. That's not true. The world doesn't have to teach us 
uh, about uh, race because we should be the ones teaching the world. But, you know, in the last couple of years, you're seeing more and more black people uh, and white people together in situations that, in, in commercials that you never saw before. <laughs> you just never saw them. So the world is trying to teach us uh, about, you know, diversity, if you will. So I just wanted to compliment these brothers, uh, Greg, Artie, and the elders here, because this is a seminal event. I mean, I'm not, uh, the significance of this has not escaped me. It is really, really uh, just a monumental thing that y'all have done here today. And it's very special. So I just didn't want that to slip by. Uh, that's what I wanted to say because there's a lot of things going on that we need to talk about. These are difficult conversations. They're difficult things to talk about, but they need to be discussed and talked about. And I think the church needs to lead in that. That's all I say. And next time, I hope I get more than two days to. <laughs>